guys are getting a little rowdy. <laughs> oh. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Did you guys have a great time yesterday? What, what class did you go to yesterday? Wonderful. Hey, so we are going to pick up where we left off, but, uh, but first I want us to pray, so let's, let's open up in a word of prayer together. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this week. We thank you for all the fun we've already had, for all the things we've already learned. God, we pray that as the week continues, you would continue to show us who you are, that we would come face to face with your truth, that we might know you better, love you more, and serve you more faithfully. So God, uh, be with us this morning. Help us to, to hear what you have for us. Help us to see the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so... We started out our week together by talking about the truth of God, the idea that God is the standard of all truth, that he declares what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. And we talked about how God revealed that truth to us in a few different ways, but the primary one being right here, in his word, in the Bible, in scripture. Then this, or last night, sorry, not this morning, it is this morning, didn't sleep well. All right, anyway, um, I have two small children in a hotel room with me. It doesn't go super smoothly. Anyway, um, so we, uh, last night we talked about the truth of Jesus. So we said the truth of God, the truth of Scripture. Last night we talked about the truth of Jesus and asked this question. What I said is probably the most important question that you will ever be asked, who do you say that Jesus is? And we saw last night who Jesus says that he is, didn't we? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed, he said that he is God in the flesh, that he is eternal, that he is almighty, that he is perfect, that he is sinless. He claimed all those things about himself. And so if that's who Jesus is, if he really is God the flesh, the maker of heaven and earth, who is, sorry, God in the flesh, the maker of heaven and earth, who has taken on flesh, who's been born as a little baby, and lived a life here on earth, then the next question is why? That's who he is. If God himself the one who exists over and above all things, who created all things with the power of his voice, who holds all things together by his might. If that God came down to live among people like you and me, then the question is why? Why would he do that? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come into the earth? And the answer to that question we're going to find in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you want to open there with me. Now, John chapter 3 is the story of a Pharisee, a religious leader, a purebred, a man named Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he's afraid of what people will think of him. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus' answer to Nicodemus is, you must be born again. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, we have probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, don't we? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. But what I want to look at today is not John 3, 16, I want to look at John 3, 17. 
But I think in John 3, 17 and 18, we get the answer to this question of why did Jesus come into the world? Why did he need to come into the world? So let's look at John three seventeen. It says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So why did God... Why did Jesus come into the world? Why did God send him into the world? Well, it says it very clearly. He sent him into the world not to condemn the world, but to do what? Save Save the world. But then did you hear what he said after that? He sent him into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Then he says this. Um, Sorry. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. So he sent Jesus into the world to save the world, but what's implied there, if Jesus came to save, then the world needed saving. It says he came not to condemn they say he came, not to, he came into the world not to condemn the world because the world was not able to be condemned because the world was perfect and people were sinless? Is that what it says? No. He says he didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was condemned already. The world was condemned already. Those who do not believe in him are condemned already. So why was the world condemned? Well, let's keep reading in verse 19. And this is the judgment. This is the condemnation. This is why the world was condemned. This is why the world needed saving. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So why did Jesus come into the world? Why did, was, why did we need Jesus to come into the world? Well, we needed Jesus to come into the world because of our wickedness. Because of our wickedness. It's wickedness that we hide because our works are evil. He came into the world because the world stood condemned for their wickedness. We might say, well, not, not, not me. I mean, maybe in, in the general sense, there are wicked people in the world. There are people who do evil out there in the world. There are, there are bad people. I'm willing to agree to that, but, but not me. I might not be perfect, but you couldn't describe me as wicked. You couldn't describe me as evil. Like, yeah, I, I, I mess up sometimes. I say a bad word here or there. I, I, I lie every now and then. I, I, I cheat on my math homework. I do. Like, but, but I'm not evil. I'm not wicked. I'm not like one of these people who stands condemned. Their works might be evil, but, but not mine. The only problem with that is 
Scripture. Because time and time again, Scripture tells us things like this in Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned. That means we've broken the law of God. We've gone against what he's told us. We've disobeyed God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John 1.8, it tells us that all of us are sinners. If we say that we are without sin, then we are liars and the truth is not in us. It tells us that every single one of us sins. And in Romans 6.23, it tells us that the wages of our sin, what we have earned for our sin, what we have um, brought ourselves because of our sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The paycheck for our sin is death. So why did Jesus need to come into the world? He needed to come into the world because every single one of us stood condemned in our wickedness, in our sin. Every single one of us did evil, does evil, and yet when we hear that, we go, no, 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 not me, because we're not in the light, but we're in the darkness. You see what he said there? He said, for everyone who does wickedness, this is verse 20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. See, the truth of scripture is that on our own, apart from Christ, every single one of us is lost in our sin and we hide it. We try to cover it up. We don't want people to see just how wicked and evil we really are because we love the darkness and we hate the light. Why? Because the light exposes our wickedness. We saw with the, with the dog over here, her name was Lottie, which coincidentally is my dog's name. Uh, and uh, it's, it's the story in scripture of the woman caught in adultery and, and they bring her out and they're going to throw these stones at her and kill her. And, and Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody walks away and Jesus says, has no one condemned you? She says, no, Lord, no one. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Why? Because everybody there had sin that they were hiding. And Jesus, as the light, exposed their sin because that's what light does. It exposes things. It, it exposes things. In, in, in our dining room at home, we have this big sliding glass door. The whole wall of our dining room is just a big, giant window. And I love it because I love the light coming in um, to, to our house. I love like natural light, right? I love the sunshine coming in. Um, and we have this big, giant slider, but I also have two kids, right? I have a two-year-old and I have a five-year-old. They're not like the cleanest eaters. They love to have waffles for breakfast, which involves syrup. And uh, I will say for about 23 hours a day, my dining room looks clean. But there's one hour a day where the sun's in just the right spot. It's higher than the back fence. It's lower than the patio out back. And the sun shoots right in and it comes right in through that sliding glass door. And my whole dining room is just bathed in bright sunlight. And for that one hour every day, my dining room is disgusting. Right there, there are syrupy fingerprints all over the table. There's bits of Play-Doh all over the floor. The back window has like child-sized face smudges on it. And like you can see the nostrils and... And for one hour a day, when the sun is shining in at just the right angle, all of the dirtiness, the griminess of my dining room is exposed. And I'm not a big fan of that one hour a day. 
Because the darkness hides the grime, but the light exposes it. The light shows it for what it is. And this is what it's talking about here. It says, everybody who does wickedness, they hate the light. Why? Because the light shows their wickedness. The light shows their sin. The light shows them for exactly who they really are. Shows them for for the sinners that they are. Now, the Bible talks time and time again about the idea that the gospel is offensive. That the idea that Jesus needed to come and to live and to die for us that it is offensive to many people. And you'll see that play out as you talk to people. As you see people hear about Jesus coming and dying for them, there's a level where people are offended. But you know what? Nobody is offended by the idea that Jesus died for them. People love that idea. They go, oh, there's someone who loves me so much that he came and he died for me. People love that. What is offensive about the gospel is not that Jesus came and died for us, It's that we needed him to. What people take offense to is not that God loves them so much that he died for them. It's that they were so sinful that what they deserve is death. And in order to be saved from that, God needed to take it on himself. And why is that? Because that is the light that shows us the fact that our sin is much, much worse than we ever thought it was. A lot of you guys in here, you're you're, you're church kids, you're Christian school kids, you've grown up going to church, you've grown up hearing the gospel, you put your faith and trust in Jesus when you were five years old at VBS, and the thing that you repented of was like eating crayons, right? Right? And so when you hear this idea that your sin is so bad and so wicked and so dark and so evil that it is deserving of death, it's hard to understand how that works. But this is the reality of the gospel. This is the reality of the Bible. It's that our sin is more serious, more more wicked. It's worse than we ever thought. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I think Romans chapter 1 helps us to understand why we take sin so seriously, why all sin is so serious, why all sin is darkness that hates the light. Because in Romans chapter 1, what we see is this, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God, now God's wrath is his, his righteous anger against sin. It is God's justice. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the darkness hating the light. They suppress the truth. They don't want to look in the cold light of day at just how bad our sin is. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth For what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world into the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Everyone knows the reality of God. They know his power. They know his glory, even if they try to suppress it in themselves. Listen to this. This is the big part. This is what I want you to 
to, to focus on here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. We jump down to verse 25, it says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever, amen. You see, guys, that is a clear picture of what sin is, what all sin is. Sin ultimately is us, people who were made by God and for God, people who were made in God's image to know and to love and to serve him. Instead of doing that, instead of worshiping God, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and we worship something that isn't God instead of worshiping the God who made us. That's what sin is. Let me give you an example. I use this story at camp all the time because it sounds silly, but I think it illustrates the point. When, when I was a kid, actually still, my favorite holiday all year long is Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas for a lot of reasons. I, I, I love that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I love Christmas music because Bing, Bing Crosby is the greatest. Um, I love Christmas decorations. I love Christmas food. I love Christmas presents, of course. Um, and when I was a kid, one of my favorite things about Christmas was it was one of the few times in the year where I got just a ton of candy, right? There are a few candy holidays. Easter's a candy holiday. Halloween's a candy holiday. Christmas is a candy holiday. And I got a bunch of candy every Christmas. And I have one sibling. I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. And my older sister was always the very, like, you know, straight A's, super organized, like she was the older sister. And I was always the younger brother. So my room was always messy and I was just like wild, crazy kid, right? And so that played out in the way that we treated our Christmas candy. My sister, or I'll start with me, I would come out on Christmas morning and I would get all my candy out of my stocking and I would just like shove it all in my face and like by 9 a.m. on Christmas, all my Christmas candy's gone, right? And I'm super sick to my stomach, but it was all worth it because it was delicious. My sister would like eat one piece of candy a day and her candy would last her like almost until Easter, right? And I remember she used to put it in a shoebox. She would keep the shoebox by the side of her table and she would like eat a piece of candy every day. Well, I remember one year, I was probably seven or eight years old and uh, I had eaten all of my candy, but my sister, of course, still had a shoebox full of candy. And I knew what was in that shoebox. I knew there were all kinds of different candies, but the holy grail of Christmas candy is of course the Reese's chocolate tree. Because Reese's are good, but the seasonal Reese's, the eggs, the trees, there's something different about like the ratio of peanut butter to chocolate and they're just out of this world. And so, so I knew my sister had a Reese's chocolate tree in her shoebox, and all my Christmas candy was long gone. And I remember that every day as I walked by my sister's room and she had her door open and I saw the shoebox, I would look and I would go, I could get a Reese's chocolate tree. 
I could go in there, I could take that Reese's chocolate tree, it would be peanut buttery and chocolatey and delicious, but I knew it was wrong. I knew it wouldn't be right, I knew it wouldn't be uh, in, in God's will, in line with his moral will. I, I, knew, I knew that if I went and I stole that, I would be sinning, right? Because it's not my Reese's chocolate tree, it belongs to my sister. But every day my desire for that tree grew and grew and grew. And at first I said, no, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to eat it. But eventually, one day, something happened. See, my desire for that tree, my desire for that peanut buttery, chocolatey goodness grew greater than my desire to love and serve and honor and obey and trust and follow the God who made me. So what did I do? I walked into my sister's room. I took the tree and I ate it. Now, I don't remember if I got in trouble or not. I don't remember if I got caught or not. But here's what I can tell you for sure. In that moment, I committed a grievous sin that is worthy of death. Yes, it was a Reese's chocolate tree, but that's not what it was really about. What it was really about is that instead of worshiping and honoring and obeying God, the God who made me in his image to know and love and serve him, instead of following him and giving him my life and my obedience and my everything, I gave it to a Reese's chocolate tree. It wasn't about stealing a little chocolate. It was about committing cosmic treason against the king of the universe. I worshiped creation rather than creator. I traded the truth of God for a lie. And that's what all sin is. It's when we take something, anything, whether it be a chocolate or whether it be our popularity or whether it be our good grades or whether it be our success in sports or whether it be our own perception of our self-identity or whether it be anything other than God, and we elevate that thing higher than God, and so we worship and serve and obey that thing rather than God, we sin. And that sin is worthy of eternal punishment because it's eternal sin against an eternal God. So why do we do it? Because when you look at it on paper, you go, Chip, you're the dumbest person in the world. You had a choice between obeying God or obeying a Reese's, and you chose the Reese's. Why would you do that? The eternal, glorious creator of everything or a seasonal candy bar. Why would you make that decision? Well, the answer is we all make that same decision. You might not be tempted by Reese's peanut butter in the same way that I am, but there's something that you choose over God because scripture tells me that there is that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we all choose things over God. So why do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us we do that because we love our sin. Because we love our sin. In James chapter one, James paints this picture of sin. He says, each person sins when they are tempted and led away by their own deceitful desires. Their own desires, their own wants. He says, desire gives way to sin and sin leads to death. It starts with the desire that we allow to grow larger than our desire for God, and it moves to sin. When that desire has grown larger than our desire for God, we sin, and that sin brings forth death. Scripture talks about this all the time as slavery to sin. In Titus 3.3, we see this. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
and slaves to various passions and pleasures or desires, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, the reality of sin is that we are slaves to our sin because we love our sin. We're slaves to our sin because we love our sin. We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We've worshiped creation rather than creator, and every single one of us has done it. And because of that, every single one of us is deserving of death. We're deserving of punishment. We've committed treason against the king of the universe, and we deserve death, spiritual death, as well as physical, for what we have done. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come into the world? Why did he take on flesh and live a perfect life among us? He came to save us because we need a savior. We are in love with our sin. We are enslaved by our sin. We are under under condemnation, under God's wrath because of our sin. Ephesians chapter two says that we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind that we are deserving of God's wrath because of our sin, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. Think about dead things as they are completely unable to save themselves. We're trapped, we're enslaved, we're dead, we're in the darkness instead of the light. This is the picture that scripture paints of us in our sin, and it is not a hopeful picture. We're trapped in the darkness, no light to shine to bring us out. We're dead in our sin. Dead things can't make themselves alive again. We are enslaved in our sin. We cannot set ourselves free. We are sinners deserving of punishment, and there's nothing that we can do about it. We are trapped in darkness. But the incredible truth of the gospel is the truth that we saw back in John chapter one. In John 1, 9, when it says this, though we are trapped in darkness, John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now listen to this. This is so important. This is the most important thing you can hear. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about how God, through Jesus, by the power of his spirit, brings hope to our hopeless condition. That though we are dead in our sin, that we are slaves to our sin, that we are trapped in our sin because we love it so much, trapped in the darkness, we're going to talk tonight about how Jesus brings light, brings freedom, brings hope, and brings life. That's the incredible truth of the gospel. And we're gonna talk about it at length tonight. But this morning, what I wanna leave you with is this question. What do you worship? What is that thing that you worship in the place of God? What is that thing that is most important to you? What is the thing that you desire and love above all else? Is it your grades? 
Are you so caught up in getting straight A's that when you're given the choice between doing the right thing and doing the thing, maybe cheating on a test that's going to get you a better grade, you worship the grade instead of your God? Is it your popularity? Is it what people think of you? Is it your success in sports? Is it your friendships? Is it your comfort? Is it your ease? What is it that you love most in this world? What is it that you worship? What is it that you give yourself to? If it's anything other than the God of the universe, then it's sin. So what is that thing that tempts you to worship it, to trade the truth about God for a lie, to worship creation rather than creator? Tonight we're going to talk about how we have freedom from that sin. But this morning I just want to leave you with that question of what is that temptation in your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that, um, that we would all see clearly the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior that we are trapped in the darkness and that we need the light, and that while the light is uncomfortable, while at some level we hate it because it shows us for who we are, it shows that we're not perfect, shows that we need someone, that we need you. God, I pray that you would shine the light into our lives. God, expose our sins, that it might bring us to repentance, bring us to faith in you, that we might be saved from our sins, saved from our helpless condition of darkness, death, slavery to our desires. So God, please show us what those things are. Show us what those temptations are. And Father, bring us to the light that we might be freed from them. In Jesus' name, amen.